Welcome to We're the Slack Group's podcast. This week we're at our head office joined by Elaine Capstick, Lead Practitioner in Safeguarding Behaviour and Inclusion, and Richard Wilkins, Quality Assurance Director. Today we're going to be discussing how to support positive behaviour. Thank you both for joining us today. Um, to start, tell us about your roles and your professional backgrounds. So, Richard, if I can start off with you. Okay, hello. I'm uh, Richard Wilkins. I'm the Quality Assurance Director for the Witherslack Group. Um, I started working for the group in 1987, so quite a while ago. Um, I worked at Oversand School um, as a member of care staff for many years um, and then uh, took over as head of care in 2001. Um, came across to work in a more central role in 2011 um, and within the last few years I've had var- varying different roles um, and now I'm the Quality Assurance Director. Um, hello everybody, uh, my name's Elaine Capstick and I'm a lead practitioner for the Safeguarding Behaviour and Inclusion team. Uh, I've been working for the Witherslack Group since 2014, so for five years now. Um, I started out in the group as a training and development officer, but three years ago moved over to the Safeguarding Behaviour and Inclusion team. Uh, my background is mainly residential care and children's homes, um, so I've been uh, working as a registered manager previous um, to working at the Witherslack Group um, for a site that had um, 10 children's homes. And prior to that, um, same as Richard, I started out as a residential support worker and um, worked my up to be, uh, way up, sorry, to be the registered manager. Brilliant. So we clearly have a lot of experience um, between both of you. So, um, first question, why do children and young people display challenging behaviours? Um, Okay, that's uh, quite a difficult one in some respects um, because there is, we've learnt a lot over the years as a society about behaviour and there are some absolute pluses to that in terms of uh, a lot of the uh, advice that's out there now is research based, it's evidence based so we know what works um, a lot of the time and we know what doesn't work. The downside for parents I think is that there is so much out there that some of it can conflict and some of it can uh, be quite complex. So in terms of that, it's about understanding what we mean by challenging behaviour, I would say, is the first uh, question. So in terms of that, um, the word problem is defined through the relationship between children and young people and the social context and the beliefs of the adults who make the judgment. And what that means, basically, is that behaviour is very um, embedded in social and cultural context. So what is... Um, one social situation, the behaviour might be perfectly acceptable. And a different social situation, it might be deemed as unacceptable. Also, when you go from a culture um, where, say, I don't know, in the States, um, the parenting, you know, the research that's come out is the parenting is very um, sort of laissez-faire in terms of they allow their children to do a lot more than in other countries. So in terms of that, then the behaviour of the um, children in America is very, very different, obviously, to the behaviour of the children in different countries. Can you give us an example of that, um, how the parenting differs? Yeah, so in some countries in the world, the parenting is, is much stricter. Right. Um, and uh, in, in other countries, um, such as Britain in some cases, but certainly uh, in the States, like I say, it's, it's research-based in terms of how those um, children are brought up. So in, in terms of that, then, the experiences that the children receive in different countries is, is different, and therefore the behaviour usually is different. Uh, bearing in mind that, you know, the 
parents are primary agents in developing uh, children over that, that, you know, whatever period of time that they have them. So the influence is, is there for all to see. Okay. So in terms of um, why children might um, display challenging behaviour, there are lots of different reasons, and that's one of the problems that, that we have is defining what those reasons are. So um, typically, um, as, we, as we grow up, we create um, what's known as internal working models, and what we do with that is um, most behaviour is learned. Um, is, is what we're pretty secure with um, nowadays. So in terms of that, again, parents have an influence on that, peers have an influence on that. So children, as they grow up, especially in the formative years, um, will copy what they see. Um, okay. So in terms of that, uh, that's one of the reasons. Another reason is um, anxiety. So even as adults, it's easy for us to understand and remember what we were like as children when we weren't particularly confident in a situation or weren't particularly secure in a situation. Um, our behaviour um, might be unpredictable. So as an example for that might be if you're in a classroom situation and school historically for you as a child hasn't been a particularly successful place uh, and you don't understand maths, um, one way to get out of that might be to uh, exhibit challenging behaviour because you know yeah. that you might get sent out. And therefore what you've got out of that situation is you don't have to do maths. So that's just another example. Okay. So um, why is it important to understand the behaviours of children and young people? Um, well, for us, within the context of the Witherslack group, but also, I suppose, for, for parents in general, it's really important to understand um, behaviours of children and young people because then we can make sure that we're giving them the right support yeah. um, because at the end of the day, um, children will be motivated uh, by different things. There'll be different reasons as to why children display different behaviours. So one child isn't the same as another child. Yeah. So by making sure that we understand what's motivating that behaviour and where it's coming from, we can make sure that we put the right support strategies in place for a young person to make sure that we can either um, get those needs met for that young person and then in turn reduce challenging behaviours because ultimately it is about there being potentially an unmet need when a young person displays a challenging behaviour or a behaviour of concern. So that young person might not be able to effectively say to us how it is that they're feeling about a certain situation or they might not be able to vocalise to us exactly what it is that the problem is or what it is that they might be struggling with. So they might, as Richard said in that last question, an example of um, they may display challenging behaviours because actually they're really struggling with understanding a certain subject but actually they may not want to say in front of their peers actually I'm really struggling with this and I don't know what to do. So their way of getting their needs met rather than saying I really don't know what to, to do with this and I'm yeah. really struggling and I feel really anxious is to display a behaviour so that they can avoid that demand that's being placed on them. So where we know what the needs are of that young person at that time, we can make sure that we can be a lot more proactive with our strategies in terms of supporting children and young people. But also for us within the Witherside group, it's about empathising as well. Um, challenging behaviours and behaviours of concern can, can be quite um, difficult you know for people when they're supporting children and young people they can be very challenging for us as well as the young person so where we know where that need is and what's motivating that behavior we can actually empathize with that young person as well which is really key when you're supporting children and young people
Okay, um, so you gave an example of a classroom-based one, Elaine. Can you give me an example of, say, um, <coughs> in the actual home environment, or Richard yourself as well? Um, it could be anything, to be honest. It's such a broad subject that it might just be the environment itself. So for a young person, it might be that um, they're too hot, you know, they're too yeah. cold, you know, they, they, they're hungry, you know, they haven't had enough sleep. It, it could be something <clears throat> as simple as that that might be motivating behaviour and that young person actually can't communicate with you Um that actually I'm, I'm really struggling today because I'm tired, you know, or I'm drained or I'm really, really hungry, which is making me really irritable. So it could even be as basic things at home, you know, like right, that. Right. <laughs> and it could be as simple as I don't really want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, in terms of that, you know, um, I think as adults, we forget again um, that we were all children once. So an adult might want something doing and a child might be in the middle of something that they're really enjoying. Yeah. Whatever that looks like. And so, okay, so can you, I don't know, um, take the bins out, do the washing up, whatever, whatever the scenario, which to an adult is a very simple request. That, well, why would you not want to do that? Uh, to the child, they're right in the middle of something they're really enjoying. So if we, if we sort of take that back to, as an adult, if we're in the middle of doing something they want to, that we're really enjoying and somebody else asks us to do something, do we just drop everything instantly and go and do that? Um, so it can be, as Elaine said, you know, very, very simple factors. Um, and there's a lot of things mixed up with this because obviously growing up is not easy and parenting yeah. is not easy. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there is a lot of advice and, you know, lots of books and, and websites out there to say, OK, if you do this, this and this, then the outcome will be this, this and this. But as we know, it just doesn't work that, uh, that easily. OK, brilliant. So um, across group, um, positive behaviour support is implemented. Can you tell us about this? Yes, um, we uh, started a process back in 2015 um, with uh, Build uh, in terms of just coming in and, and having a look. What we were aware of was that we, um, obviously, in the Witherslack group, we've got a lot of experience of working with um, some very complex uh, needs. But what we were short of is what we felt is a real understanding of um, behaviour in terms of where it comes from. So uh, we can get distracted as adults with the behaviour of the child. Um, and what, what it means is we don't actually look for the root cause. So all behaviour happens for a reason. We just yeah. don't know what that reason is uh, sometimes. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So in terms of that, we went on that journey, um, like I say, a few years ago. And, and part of um, what's come from that is, is a, a much better um, understanding from day one that the staff have to almost ignore the behaviour in terms of that is just a symptom. Um, yeah. And what we're really trying to do is get to the bottom of what, what's created that. And as Elaine touched on before, it can be environmental, it can be biological, it can be a, you know, lots of different things. But the key is that you'll, you'll need to go, you need to go through a process of trying to find out what those, what those reasons are. So in terms of that, we, we have it um, in... You know, embedded in in, uh, in our settings across the group, um, we did, we were very keen not to be um, an organisation that said they did positive behaviour support but didn't really. Um, uh, so we've invested an awful lot of time and an awful lot of resources into making sure that we have um, PBS coaches in all our children's homes, uh, PBS coaches in all our um, schools in order for, for them to work day in, day out with the staff, upskilling the staff team in order to um, not only understand the behaviour but also to help children to, to change those behaviours by giving them new skills, new ways of reacting to different situations. 
Okay, so you just touched on it, Build. Um, can you tell us what is Build? Uh, Build is a charity. The British Institute for Learning Difficulties um, has been around for a long time and is a real champion of um, reducing restrictive practices, uh, and that includes restraint, uh, which the Wilson Group obviously are very, very keen um, on keeping that to an absolute minimum, um, but also restrictive practices in other ways as well. They exist in, in other forms. Um, so in terms of you know, consequences, uh, sanctions, uh, mechanical restraint, chemical restraint, all those things are not things that the Wilson Group are... Um, involved with, but um, the build has a wider remit in terms of that. But their agenda fits very closely with our own, and that's why we went through a process, like I say, in 2015, of finding a partner to work with yeah. um, that was most aligned to our own values. Brilliant. Okay. So parents and carers listening to this may feel <clears throat> alone if their child displays challenging behaviours. So let's share your practical hints and tips that they can implement to help them and their families. Um, what's the importance of setting boundaries? Okay, so the importance of setting boundaries are um, linked to what I, I mentioned before about parents being, you know, playing a really key role in the development of their children's um, behaviours. Parents shape behaviour over time with children, and they do that by setting reasonable boundaries uh, and also modelling the behaviour that they want. Um, there are other terms such as scaffolding, uh, where you help young children to learn uh, those new skills. It's no different um, to, again, um, you know, children <coughs> are born with a certain set of um, abilities. So in terms of that, from day one, they are, they are learning. Um, and I think, again, people think, well, you know, you, get, you might get to a certain point where you, you, you don't learn anymore. And, and we know that, again, through research in the last sort of, 20, 30 years, that's just not true, that, that, yeah. uh, that we keep learning all the time. So <clears throat> without boundaries um, might be a better way of answering it. So in terms of um, children not having uh, the necessary skills to function in society or even raise their own children if we didn't have boundaries. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about, um, you know, potential chaos. Um, and what we're trying to do is, you know, allow children to absolutely grow um, as parents. We want them to be the best that they can be. Yeah. And boundaries are a big part of that. Um, because ultimately, if they don't fit in to society, if their behaviour is so extreme that they get socially isolated and um, other associated problems, then they're not going to be the best that they can be. They're not going to achieve what they want to achieve, and they're not going to have the quality of life um, that they want for their, uh, themselves and their own families. Brilliant. So, um, during a crisis, um, what phrases should you use and avoid? Um, that's a little bit of a difficult question to answer. Yeah. Um, and again, it's only because um, all children, all of us are individuals. So all of us respond to different things um, when we're happy, sad, you know, feeling angry, feeling frustrated. Yeah. So one of the things that we advocate at the Witherslack group um, is that each child has their own um, personalised support plan. Okay. Um, and that's because um, every single child that is with us in the Witherslack group, um, when they start to to escalate their behaviours or become anxious or upset 
um, children will need different things at different times but in terms of general advice I think one of the best things that we can always say to people is to try and avoid um, the urge to tell somebody to calm down um, when they've escalated their behaviours or when they're frustrated or upset um, because I think even we know as adults you know that, that when we are becoming quite frustrated with something that probably the worst thing you know to people can say to you is just calm down because <laughs> actually it tends to make you feel more um, frustrated but um, when children start to escalate their behaviours and move off what we call that baseline level, so baseline is when a young person is, you know, content, you know, happy, they start to move up what we call um, the arousal cycle. Right. Um, and as a young person moves up that arousal cycle, the more that their behaviours become escalated, um, they start to lose that cognitive ability to be able to take in really complex language. So we always recommend to people that actually just keep things really really simple so some of the hints and tips that we can give you is just by um, gaining their attention you know first of all and just doing that by using their, their name actually so that you can make sure um, that that child is, is engaged with what you're saying so by getting their attention you know that actually they're focused on you you know focused um, rather than being focused sorry on, on what the problem is that's going on around them um, using really core messages so not using any language that is uh, over complicated because when you're really far up that arousal cycle and you've lost the ability to be able to think cognitively you aren't potentially going to be able to take on board lots of complicated requests or complicated sentences so by using really simple language and really simple instructions that young person is going to be able to engage with you um, when they're really kind of far up that arousal cycle but use you know positive phrasing as well so trying to um, avoid you know direct demands to a young person like um, you know you you will do this or you you must do this yeah trying to keep the language um, as positive as possible um, and you know if anything happens when the behavior is escalated so you know if, if a young person breaks something you know in frustration or displays a behavior where they might have own something try and avoid addressing that you know during yeah. the crisis because yeah. actually that it potentially is going to make things worse yeah. that young person isn't going to be able at that point to take on board you know what it is that you're asking of them but it's really important that you still revisit that you know afterwards when everybody's calmed down you know you can go back to that situation and you can think about restoring that relationship and, and that kind of reparation of you know let's go and clean this up or let's go and pick that up but if you try and address that at that yeah. point when that young person um, is really highly aroused and really going through um, the throes of that crisis behavior they're just not going to be able to take on board what it is that you're saying so gaining attention keeping things really simple and trying to use that positive language rather than direct demands yeah. um, tends to be a framework that, that we use with young people within the Witherslack group when they're really far up that arousal cycle that's really helpful that is so um, why is it important um, then for you as a parent to remain calm um <clears throat> Yeah, in terms of that, it's, it's again really important about the question um, that came up before about parents you know, potentially feeling quite alone with these sort of things. And I think yeah. it's really important to address that in terms of they're not alone. Um, you know, being a parent myself of, of uh, three um, 
daughters and I fully understand how difficult it can be and you can sort of set off uh, in the morning with a certain plan and that plan doesn't necessarily uh, come to fruition for, for varying different reasons. But we've talked about the internal working models uh, of, of children and how they pick up um, you know, things that they see, things that they experience. Um, children over time, well all of us over time, basically have a, an experience of a certain situation um, and that becomes our understanding of how that situation works and if that situation is then changed for any reason it does um, uh, affect our um, you know, ability to cope with that. What, um, what is also um, better understood now is that you know, an adult who has had a very typical um, set of experiences um, is able to call upon more resources, personal resources, to deal with different situations. So we've all walked into, you know, a workplace and, you know, day one of a new school, day one of a new workplace, day one of a meeting with people that we've not um, uh, met before, etc., etc., and that, yeah. that carries with it a certain amount of uncertainty. Um, so, but we will have a repertoire of responses we've built up over time. Um, with children, they are just starting out on that journey. With some children, as we know, they, they have a difficulty going past sort of more than two or three responses, which we talked about before. But in terms of the internal working models that I've talked about, um, they basically are you know, about the, the person, the child themselves, other people, and the relationship between the two. So if adults don't remain calm... Yeah. Um, it's what, what are we teaching? So are we teaching children that the way to deal with difficult situations and, and conflict situations is for ourselves to get angry? Um, that's one reason why we should remain calm. The other reason we should remain calm is it's more than likely that if we don't remain calm, um, we are going to get very flustered ourselves and actually forget uh, what we're trying to achieve. Yeah. <laughs> so in terms of that, if you want uh, children to do something... For whatever reason, there are lots of little um, ways of avoiding um, conflict, which is what Elaine um, talked about before. You know, uh, giving them plenty of time is, is one of them. So if you, if, you, if you know your child is upstairs watching a television programme, for instance, and they're halfway through, if you want something doing, it's probably best to say, when the programme's finished, can you um, do that? Um, if, we, if we don't remain calm... Um, in these situations, it's likely as well, uh, as Elaine said, to escalate the situation because um, what you get in there is you, you've got fight and flight and you know, most people know about those sort of responses. Um, and what, what you end up doing as a parent, and I've done it myself, is you end up digging in. You end up digging in and thinking, you know what, no matter what, this is going to happen my way. And actually you've, you've completely lost the, the whole uh, point of the situation. Holiday, holiday times are particularly difficult for parents as well yeah. uh, because the children are you know, around... Um, a lot more, they aren't burning off as much energy, all those sort of things. Um, so that, that would be why, why I would say it's, it's important to remain calm. Um, and also, um, just because it helps children to feel safe um, yeah. as well within their environment. So um, if they're upset you know, or anxious and displaying you know, behaviours or challenging behaviours, if they have adults around them um, that, are be that are being calm and that are in control themselves, it, it helps children to feel safe within their environment because that adult is role modelling um, you know, that kind of in control behaviour and actually it just helps children to feel like um, even though uh, a certain behaviour might have been displayed that actually that adult isn't judging them you know for that behaviour um, and that and that generally kind of re reassures them so. Okay um, so how can a parent help their child recognise triggers and find ways to prevent um, escalations? 
So in terms of recognising triggers, I think um, for parents, just observation is key. Um, so really kind of looking at when behaviours might be happening. So even down to what time of day it is, what day of the week it is, um, what the activity is um, that you're doing when you start to see um, the child's behaviour escalating or start to see them become anxious and um, who's around at that time. Just by observing when it is that those behaviours start to be displayed yeah. you can start picking up a lot you know in terms of oh well you know it's happening actually every morning you know they're struggling with breakfast time whatever it might be they might be a little bit tired you can start to see that sometimes there might be patterns in behavior which will then allow you to start changing routines or change the things that you're doing with that child or that young person mm. so definitely um, just observation over time is a really key way of starting to recognize that's what we do within the Withersat group when we're supporting young people and um, we do some really in-depth work at looking at um, you know when it is that these things are happening and what's going on around that young person at that time it can tell us an awful lot about the behavior and what might be motivating it um, but also for parents in terms of um, finding ways to prevent escalations once you've found out what might be triggering the behavior um, it's important to to acknowledge it um, and not to avoid it um, so you know, when a young person might be getting upset, you know, acknowledging that actually, yeah, that, that was really hard, wasn't it? Or you really, really struggled, you know, with that task or yeah. you found it really difficult for us to go to that new place because um, <clears throat> that, that lets the child know that it's okay, you know, to feel frustrated or upset. We've got to acknowledge that actually that that behavior or struggling with something that's fine if we just ignore it then we're never going to be able to move forward you know with that child or young person so just just acknowledging how it is that they're feeling and asking them how they're feeling at that point so when you start to see those behaviors and um, it might not be emotions but asking them to describe what's going on are you, are you hot you know have you gone cold do you feel i can see that you're red in the face yeah. by talking through those things again that's starting to get the child to acknowledge what's going on with them internally and externally you know when something's triggered their behavior and it can help you to link between how they're feeling and their behaviors so that you can plan ahead you know for next time so by saying okay and um, doing that piece of writing you know it was really hard work so next time let's not get all hot and bothered and um, let's write for five minutes and then we'll have a little bit of a break so that that child knows that you're acknowledging that something's been really difficult for them yeah. you've linked how they've been feeling and what their behavior was and telling them that actually we know that that was really difficult for you so next time you know this is how we'll do it differently so definitely don't avoid talking about um, you know when something's gone wrong acknowledge it get that young person to start if they can talking to you about how they're feeling and what it is that they're thinking and then you can start planning ahead for next time. Linked to what we were talking about before as well in terms of um, parents remaining calm, it's a very similar process for your own sort of self-reflection. When something has unravelled, when something's yeah. gone wrong, um, you know, there's been a situation created from uh, from whatever. Um, in terms of that, it's it's important to look and say, okay, so what what was my role in that? I mean, that's what we teach the staff. Uh, the first, you know, one of the first questions is, well, okay, so what's my role in that situation? What what could I have done better? What could I have done differently? More importantly, because it's um, it's 
really important to avoid sort of apportioning any blame in these situations because parents can you know blame themselves unnecessarily and actually it's not it's not very productive longer term so in terms of that it's 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 about just as Elaine rightly has said, just analyse it. Okay, what went well? What didn't go well? And let's let's do something differently next time. So self-reflection is um, key in this. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as Richard mentioned, I think sometimes it can be easy, you know, for us to just portion all of the blame, you know, onto yeah. the child. Or, but actually a lot of the time that what we do as adults has a significant impact on what happens with a young person. So definitely when you were talking in the last question, um, you asked about recognising triggers. Yeah. We have to do a lot of work as adults and thinking like Richard said, actually, did we contribute you know, to that situation? Did we force a young person into a situation that, that they weren't comfortable with? You know, Even going to a new place or a new environment, um, surrounding them with too many people, whatever it might be we've got to recognize what it is that, that we do to impact on behavior as well brilliant okay so can you explain the importance of self-soothing from a child's perspective yeah, so um, all human beings have got an internal self-soothing system. And in, in a nutshell, it helps us to, to manage stress um, on a basic level. And it helps us to manage stressful situations. Um, and that internal self-soothing soothing, sorry, system, um, it helps us to feel safe you know, and protected. Yeah. So we all... Um, kind of relate to um, different kind of coping mechanisms that we've got when we start to feel unsafe or we start to feel like there's a situation that we can't, you know, manage or that we might struggle to manage. Um, Richard mentioned a couple of questions ago that as adults we come up with a repertoire of responses yeah. to help keep us calm, you know, in stressful situations and that's exactly the same for a child. When it comes to their internal self-soothing system, it might be that they um, dis display certain behaviours, you know, so, you know, what do you notice? It could be sometimes that a child might just simply rock back and forth on their chair and that might be a self-soothing system. Um, a young person might become more tactile, you know, they might um, seek or, or need that attention from an adult and that's their way of self-soothing. Some young people can um, become very, a lot of movement, you know, they yeah. can be up and down from their seat or moving around the room and their need to expand that energy potentially because of adrenaline that might be their way of self-soothing so um, it's really important for a young person it's difficult isn't it it's hard even for an adult to recognize how it is um, that you're feeling because ultimately when you start to recognize how you feel that's when you can start thinking about actually what is it that I need to do to, to manage stress and to manage my anxiety. For children it's really really difficult to talk about feelings and actually to, to link how they're feeling with that time when they're starting to get anxious and when they're starting to move up that arousal cycle so you might need to help them with that and we find that in the Withersight group that actually we might need to give children examples of self-soothing or responses that they can use when they start feeling anxious because children might not know themselves yeah and that might be something as simple as um, you know putting some earphones in and listening to some music going out and about and having a walk in the fresh air and um, some of our children like to do um, different exercises that
that they've been given by our occupational therapists with resistance bands and things. So using their, their muscles, you know, when they come yeah. a little bit tense. So it's, it's really important for everybody to recognise that actually all of us have an internal self-soothing system. So sometimes some of the behaviours that you might see might purely be down to a young person just trying to reduce their anxiety and trying to, to manage their stress in that moment. That's so interesting, Elaine. So um, what's the role of the environment in helping to sustain um, good or acceptable behaviour? Um, the environment's key. Uh, we've talked a, a lot about, um, you know, part of the environment is the interaction between children and adults. Um, the more predictable the environment, the more uh, safe and secure people feel. Um, that's no different to adults, um, you know, people talk about comfort zones and things like that and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, it, and it's only when um, things are unpredictable uh, that potentially that can lead to, um, to behaviour. So consistency is really key in an environment, so children need to know, you know, what happens when. Um, as much as possible. Obviously in the home it's going to be a lot less structured than in say a school environment which yeah. naturally is going to be a lot more structured with timetables and things like that but you can set up routines at home uh, as, as well um, in a similar way. So noise is, is, is a very um, important uh, factor as well in environments that if things are more sort of chaotic and noisy um, that can lead to anxieties uh, increasing, that can lead again to, to behaviour. Uh, space is important as well so if you got um, you know space uh, and it's used well and, and you know houses houses vary uh, in size obviously but I'm talking about being able to go out as well yeah. um, uh, on a regular basis and going back to the um, sort of safety and security and the calmness of the adults around them we've talked uh, in this podcast about what's termed intergenerational transmission of a process of behaviour and attitudes and beliefs of the, of, of the adults around them. So the children are taking all this in all the time um, and the consistency um, and predictability um, is, is really key. So in holiday times, for instance, again, um, you know, it's a case of, okay, do I, do I set up a, a set of very rigid routines um, and the answer is, well, kind of, uh, because routine is important, um, but lie-ins are important in holiday times, aren't they? And yeah, later bedtimes are important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the routine probably is that there needs to be a bedtime that's reasonable. Yeah. Um, and with smaller children, because a lot of this is all age-related as well, uh, with smaller children there is going to be less negotiation about those things. But as, as children grow up, then rightly negotiation starts to, to take place. So when you want to, certainly once you're entering the teenage years, there's a lot of negotiation um, with, <laughs> with the teenagers because believe it or not they've got their own minds um, you know and they've like got loads of well I've that. got some experience <laughs> I've got some experience um, it would seem but but it is it is about that it's, it's about knowing knowing the child I mean parents know their children better than anybody uh, is, is what I would say um, and it's very easy to slip into a, a trap as a parent that you know professionals might know more well actually no that's just not the case um, they will know more than than the professionals but ultimately it's about working together in terms of that anyway so which we'll go on to later but but in terms of that yeah it's it's really important to get the environment right so if um, if you've got that predictability if you've got that consistency you're less likely to see uh, behaviors that challenge okay so we all love a little bit of praise explain to us the importance of it I think you've hit the nail on the head there, okay? <laughs> In that, everybody loves praise, even adults love praise, because 
ultimately um, it makes us feel good doesn't it it, it boosts our self-esteem so yeah. ev everybody you know loves to hear something something good about themselves because ultimately if, if you hear something good about yourself it, it motivates you to almost want to repeat that behavior or do the same thing again you know to, to get that feedback from somebody else so you know for children it helps them with their self-esteem it makes them feel good but it can also encourage those positive interactions actions and encourage that positive behavior when they're at home or when they're in school and um, because it, it's good to focus on the positive rather than the negative yeah. so when it comes to supporting you know challenging behaviors we say that it's a lot better to nourish you know the positivity rather than to focus on that challenging behavior um, you know and what it is that a young person's displaying because actually focusing on the positive it's it's a lot better in terms of building your relationship with that young person and it gets them more engaged you know with you as an adult um, and it's important to be to be specific with your praise as well um, so for us guys when we're working in our school environments you know rather than being broad with our praise and saying oh that was a really good lesson well done yeah. being really specific and saying um, you know you were great at keeping your colouring in the lines or your your handwriting has massively improved because that's then going to motivate that young person to want to keep coming back to that English lesson and showing you the handwriting or showing you what it is that they can do so praise ultimately just just boosts our self-esteem makes us feel good motivates us to to want to repeat those behaviors and motivates us to want to want to keep going brilliant <clears throat> okay so should some behaviors be ignored um yes they should but um, it's a bit of a complex question, okay. <laughs> um, is that one, because we've kind of talked throughout the, the podcast um, about challenging behaviours and children's behaviours. There's a reason, you know, as to why it is that they might be displaying those behaviours. Um, and more often than not, they can display challenging behaviours because there's an unmet need there. So there's something going on for that young person. Um, us as adults, we're not helping them to get their needs met. Yeah. So if we use ignoring as a strategy, um, sometimes it can be effective because actually when it comes to a challenging behavior that a young person's displaying if they've got that cognitive ability to be able to make that link of oh well actually you know I've, I've displayed that behavior but I'm not getting the response that I want from the adult so actually my behavior isn't getting my needs met so I'm going to stop doing that now because I'm not getting the required outcome but for some children then they're not able to make that cognitive link and it might be just because of their cognitive abilities in general but it might also be because like we mentioned before where if they're far, really hard far sorry up that arousal cycle they're not they're not able to think cognitively about what it is that they're do, doing and the behaviors that they're displaying so if you ignore that behavior for some children they might think oh well I'm displaying this behavior I'm not getting my needs met, I'm being ignored. So actually, I'm going to escalate that behaviour even further and display that behaviour even more because they're ignoring me. So I, I need to be more intense with this behaviour because because I need them to give me what it is that I want. Or a worst case scenario, rather than continuing to sort of increase the severity of that behaviour, they might stop that behaviour 
but display a completely different behaviour because they might think, well, this behaviour isn't getting me what I want and the desired outcome, so actually I'm going to do something completely different to try and get their attention. So it's a really, really tricky thing when it comes yeah. to ignoring because yes sometimes with children they can make that link between actually I'm not getting my needs met so I am going to stop displaying this behavior um, sometimes we can get what we call an extension burst where things get worse before they get better yeah. so if you do kind of use planned ignoring as, as we can sometimes call it to um, manage behaviors you, you might see that that young person might increase their behavior because they might think I'm not getting my needs met so I'm going to increase that behavior but actually over time you know they will start to realize that actually yeah this behavior isn't getting my needs met so I need to do something differently or I'm not going to display that behavior so it's a really challenging yeah. question <laughs> because yes sometimes it can work but I think the key things that, that we've got to think about is, you know, does that young person have the ability to, to make that link to understand? Yeah. But also adults have got to be really consistent when they're when they're using, you know, ignoring as a behavioural strategy with children. Um, because all of us as adults will treat children differently and will work in different ways. So um, Richard may ignore a behaviour to a certain point when Richard is working in class with a young person, yeah. but I might not want to ignore that behaviour or might see this behaviour continue and think, oh, I need to stop this right now, you know, so I'm, I'm, I can't ignore this anymore. And when that young person is getting inconsistent messages yeah. from the adults around them, that's when it ceases, you know, to become a good strategy because we're not being consistent as adults. So I think consistency is key as well. And at home, it's, it's definitely... Um, parents sometimes when... Is, is what, what, what am I asking and why am I asking it? So in terms of that, the ignoring, uh, you know, what Elena said is absolutely right. Some, some things can be ignored, no problem. Some things uh, need to not be ignored, etc., etc. And within that, there's a, there's a wide range. Um, but as a, as a parent, you've got to be thinking as well, OK, I've asked, I've asked for something to happen or I've asked for a certain behaviour, I've asked for something and it's not happened. Why am I actually asking that? And what I mean by that is, again, we are all products of our own experiences. So our own experience of being parented, our own experiences of uh, going to school ourselves. Um, so we just have to be clear about, you know, what we ask, what we ask, it, and is it worth, you know, a battle over over that? And it is about pick, picking your battles sometimes, isn't it? Right. And sometimes parents can can uh, perceive that a child might be ignoring them. We we do that sometimes as staff within the Withersack group, but it might actually be that the child doesn't understand what it yeah. is that you're asking of them. So um, we tend to find, um, you know, with with children with all different varying levels of ability, that one child might understand something that you're asking of them, but another child doesn't understand the exact same request. So sometimes you've got to think about. Am I, am I using too complex a language? Am I asking them to do multiple things in one sentence and they've remembered the first thing but then they've forgotten the other things that have yeah. come afterwards? <laughs> so sometimes we can think that children are just ignoring <clears throat> us but actually they just haven't understood what it is that yeah, we're asking another, of them. Another good example that uh, from an adult's point of view, they'll see the behaviour, they'll see I am being ignored but actually, actually it could be a strategy. From a child's perspective, this is just a strategy because I don't actually know how to deal with any of this. I don't understand what I've been asked to do. So yeah. my strategy is to do nothing. But what the adult sees is I'm being ignored. Right. So again, it's, it's getting to the bottom of what's, what's going on that's key. Brilliant. So after an escalation, how is it, 
how important is it to have calm time? I think um, I kind of keep repeating myself, sorry, but it's, um, I think it's completely down to the individual um, as to importance of calm time. Um, I think it, when we're talking about, um, you know, the, that internal self-soothing system, um, your strategies um, for getting yourself back down to baseline might be completely different to somebody else's. So, um, you know, within the Withersight group, we've got some children that, that like to have a, a really, you know, quiet calm, um, noise-free environments, you know, to be able to help them bring themselves back down to baseline. But actually we've got some children that, that really just want to interact and really want to be with people and want to be around adults, you know, they want to talk. We've got some children that might actually want to go outside and completely run around, um, you know, and get, get rid of some energy uh, and some frustration. So when we're talking about calm time I think for some children it, it's very important because it, it's what it is that they need at that time to bring them back down to baseline but for other children um, their calm time is being with others and is being outside because running around and getting fresh air expending some energy might be their way of, of self-soothing so it's it's completely down to the individual but I think the importance um, the important thing is is promoting good relationships um, and promoting learning you know about what it is that's happened so a young person might want that quiet time or they might want to go outside and run around but it is important that at some point, you know, after something has happened, that, that we sit down with that young person and learn from it. Like we said, acknowledge, you know, that something's happened, something's gone a bit wrong. Talk about how it felt. Talk about what it was that triggered that behaviour so that we can plan for next time and so that we can get that restorative conversation going on. Because sometimes challenging behaviours, it might be hitting you know kicking something might have got broken and we need to make sure that that young person learns from from that process and sees that adults will support them to, to put that situation right again brilliant so um what reward systems can be used at home um i'm not avoiding the question but yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is obviously very individual um yeah. to um you know what elaine said what i've said it, it's very um context driven is is all that we're talking about so when we're talking about rewards it's probably easier to talk about reinforcement so okay. i think elaine touched, touched on it um, a couple of questions ago which basically um uh, behavior uh, is reinforced um, and the product of that will either be repeating good behaviour or repeating behaviour that's um, not as uh, desirable. So in terms of that, um, you know, again, you know the child as a parent uh, best. Um, so in terms of that, praise is, is something that, you know, Elaine talked about um, at length, which is really important. And that in itself is an intrinsic reward. That is a, that is a reward that is built into whatever task they've, they've completed, whatever behaviour they've uh, displayed. So there are lots of different things you can do. Um, you know, trips out, things like that. Um, the more physical, the better, usually, uh, in terms of that for children to, to get out and about. Um, but it's, like I say, it's important to understand not just rewards, um, and you know, there are a plethora of things that you can use. Um, it's important to understand, how, you know, does that motivate? So rewards that... Um, 
don't motivate are not going to be um, strived for, are they? Um, and, the, and the other side of that coin is the consequence escalator. So again, if, you, if things aren't going well, you might say, and I saw this uh, a few months ago in, um, in the street, funnily enough, when I was um, uh, shopping, as you do, um, where a parent can get very frustrated very quickly and yeah. all of a sudden go from sort of zero to 100 in terms of the consequences. So it might start at a very small level. Okay, well, if you, if you don't, I don't know, hold my hand or, or whatever was being asked at the time, um, then, you know, you won't get any sweets. You might start at that and, you know, by sort of 10 minutes later, if, um, if the child hasn't done what's been asked, there, there are another sort of five or six consequences that are added on to that because what the parents lost sight of is the outcome that they're looking for um, and they think that the way to get it is to keep heaping consequences but just just like rewards consequences can be ineffective as well if they don't have an impact on on the child so going back to the question um it is un, it is you know it's really important to understand um how rewards and consequences work for your child yeah um but uh you know don't don't think as a parent that you need to you know have the, the most weird and wonderful uh, reward systems out there and things like that you know in, in the schools and children's homes uh, it's a little bit more prescriptive what we do in terms of uh, rewards uh, in schools all over the country. You know, they have uh, lots of different uh, rules and what have you in schools, and they also have rewards, star charts, certificates, all those sorts of things. That's not something you're going to bring to the home environment, yeah. I want to thought. Um, uh, but again, you know, if it works for your child, then, then great, because there are some children that really respond to those, and actually they do want it replicated in, in the home environment. So it's about understanding what really works for your child and keep focused on what is the outcome that you're looking for. If you're looking for uh, a child to repeat a behaviour that you find desirable, then reward that behaviour and do it very incrementally. Um, as as uh, Elaine said before, don't, don't sort of generally be very specific about what you're asking for, be very specific about what the reward is. Okay, so um, children and young people spend a lot of time at school during the day. On their return, they may feel overwhelmed, so let's talk about supporting them during term time. So what's the importance of having good relationships with teaching staff? Um, well, the importance of that in terms of, in my experience of, of sort of both sides working in schools um, and also being a parent, um, as I've said before, uh, it's absolutely crucial. If you want to maximise um, the benefit for your child, if you want the, the, the child to get the, uh, the best possible outcomes, then having a very good, close working relationship with, um, with the school is absolutely key. Um, there are lots of reasons for that. Um, one is that I mentioned before is that parents have an awful lot to bring uh, to the table in terms of that, in terms of their knowledge of the child. Yeah. Uh, certainly in sort of the early days of placement, they're absolutely key is to get that information. Uh, you know, what, what are the uh, triggers we talked about? What are they good at? Uh, uh, what do they like doing, what are their interests, um, all those sorts of things. And we can't get that information from um, anybody else but, uh, but the parent uh, commonly. So in terms of that, um, the most positive experience that the school can bring is if if parents are really working very closely. It also means that we can, you know, we're a better place to support parents as well. If we have that relationship and we have that understanding, um, we can sort of, um, you know, it's a mutually supportive uh, arrangement. If the school works closely, it obviously um, enhances uh, trust, mutual respect between the two. Uh, all these things are, are about the child at the end of the day. Uh, it means that uh, it's easy to pick up the phone, for instance, if you're not happy with something, um, just as much as if you are. It's easier for the staff um, to pick up the phone um, 
on a regular basis in our schools. It's not so much in a mainstream school because you know they are big uh, institutions. But in our schools, uh, you know, parents are contacted very frequently. Yeah. Um, and in in order to um, get those best possible outcomes, uh, I think it's one of those questions where you can flip it on its head and say, okay, so why why should you know why do we need why do we need to be engaged? And then it's, it sort of answers itself. If if well, we don't need to be you know interested in what the children are doing, and we don't have to have a good working relationship with the teacher, which just doesn't sound right, does it? Yeah. Uh, and that's because it's not. Okay, so how do schools across with a Slack group support parents and carers? Um, again, you know, in my experience of de dealing and uh, working with parents for uh, a long time, um, in terms of that, it's it's definitely from a parents' point of view, you want to know that your children are happy. You want to know that the children are getting the best that they can possibly get. Um, and what the Withersack group does really well is that very um, close contact that I talked about uh, j just before. In terms of regular phone calls, we have key worker systems in place um, that work uh, specifically with children. We have the ITAC process in place where there's a, um, you know, a t what we call the internal team around the child, which is all the key professionals involved with that young person. Um, and the parents uh, and uh, wider families to, to make sure, again, we're delivering the, uh, the services that we should be delivering. So, so what does that look <clears> like, Richard? So that's, uh, that's a team of people, essentially, who, um, as a minimum, meet on a regular basis, which is sort of half-termly, to discuss uh, progress. But actually, it's much more than that. Right. So you've got some key people, um, so the class teacher, the teaching assistant, um, member of pastoral staff, key worker, um, member of care staff, depending on... Um, the uh, you know the situation, a member of clinical services who are working closely with that child. So ultimately, it's all those professionals. But another key um, element of that is, is obviously parents and carers. So uh, in terms of that, it's about sharing information. It's about um, okay, we've tried you know x amount of strategies. Uh, is that working for us? Um, uh, learning interventions that go on. It's making sure that there's nothing that isn't captured very quickly, um, so that we basically you know the the children come with a lot of plans, um, typically, so the HCPs um, are the main one that people will, will recognise and understand. So within the, the HCPs, there are certain requirements, certain targets that need to be met. But um, as the child grows and develops and things change, obviously um, it's about making sure that we have a good working knowledge of what those child's needs are in order to meet them and therefore, uh, as we've talked about before, making sure we maximise their opportunities in life uh, going forward. Um, other things that the Wayside Group do, uh, we've got support resources, podcasts for instance, yeah. um, lots of events, conferences, uh, links to parent groups, um, and that's the other thing is to remember as a parent, you know, we talked about whether it's a lonely place sometimes as a parent, but actually, like I said, it's not, there are lots of resources out there, um, and if you're working with a, one of our homes or one of our schools, uh, it's, it's easy to, like I say, pick up the phone, have that conversation and say, I'm struggling with this, or do you know anything about this, and we would be able to signpost. Okay. So, um, is there a link between sleep and behaviour? Definitely. Um, so, even as adults... Were you asleep um, then? I, I might have been asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Rachel. Yeah, definitely. So, even as adults, we know that if we've, we've not had a good night's sleep, so either we haven't had enough sleep or not very good quality sleep, that affects us the next day. It affects our mood, it affects our interactions. 
perhaps sometimes patience levels, tolerance levels. So children are no different um, when it comes to having a good quality night's sleep. Um, I mean, sometimes some of the things that you can you can see in terms of signs of, of you know children if they're struggling with their sleep patterns can be just general you know fatigue and tiredness, um, irritability. You know, so finding that actually certain things trigger them or annoy them that wouldn't normally. Um, difficulty learning new concepts because actually when you're really really tired and you're really really struggling it's difficult you know to take on board what people are saying what people are asking you to do so if you're in class and the teacher's expecting you to learn something new that can be a really really difficult thing and just forgetfulness and and forgetting things and just an inability to, to generally concentrate so I think when we see those things going on um, we can see that actually it, it might be a sign that a young person is is really really struggling you know with their sleep patterns things like that because um, recently um, studies have shown that actually a lack of good quality sleep can lead to anxiety disorders right. and you can see how that might happen because actually your anxiety if you are feeling tired you know when you go into class or when you get up in the morning it affects your ability to be able to cope with the day um, in general so sometimes you know when we mentioned before about children us perceiving that they're ignoring us sometimes actually you know even the simplest of demands if you're tired you know you yeah. might really struggle to to process that information or you might really struggle even just to to have the get up and go you know to, to go out somewhere or, or to do something that's that's being asked of you so you can see how children and even adults might become quite anxious about what the day might bring if you're feeling like you're not at your best you know you're very tired you're struggling what it is that people are asking of you and the demands that they're placing on you so you can start to, to really become you know anxious and get really kind of frustrated at different situations and, and what it is that's, that's happening so I think sleep is really you know important for everybody because it, it can have such a knock-on effect the next day if, if you're really feeling tired and, and you're really feeling that fatigue. So would you say that it's important to have a good routine um a bedtime routine or, um... yeah absolutely if if you can do and yeah. um you know we we keep saying the same thing but obviously it's you know it's down yeah. to individuals in different ages of children you know have different bedtimes and um, different children find different ways as well of settling at night time so for some children it might be listening to music for some children it might be reading a book or just having an adult with them there to chat but definitely having a good bedtime routine is setting you up for having a good night's sleep um, so making sure that the environment, you know, even that is right within your bedroom because, you know, your, your sleeping environment um, should be um, a really low arousal, you know, kind of calm environment. If there's lots of things going on in a young person's bedroom, like if there's a TV going, if there's a radio going, if, you know, there's a, a games console or whatever it is in the room, it's tempting, isn't it? But also that's it, they're stimulating, you know, things for some young people. So actually making sure that the environment is right you know making sure that you're setting the tone you know for bedtime and um, for a lot of children having that adult there you know yeah. to support them at bedtime is a really key thing because I, I know as an adult that sometimes when I get into bed the first thing that I do is my brain seems to switch on and I start thinking about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow you know what tasks it is 
and children are no different you know they might go to bed and their minds wander you know when they haven't got anything going on around them and they're not interacting so they might be thinking about school tomorrow maths tomorrow you know worrying about going somewhere tomorrow so actually sometimes the presence of an adult you know spending a little bit of time whether it be 15 minutes half an hour reading a story or even just interacting and talking about what's going to be happening the next day is is a really good way of reassuring a young person and making sure that they're settled and, and ready for a good night's sleep brilliant so um the school so children who have developmental issues um, will find it difficult to process information mm. and we have touched on this yeah how can parents support them um, so understanding, so yeah, yeah understanding um, what it is in terms of processing information. So um, for a lot of our children, um, we work really closely with our speech and language therapists. So um, Richard mentioned our internal team around um, the child system, our ITAC system within our schools. Um, so parents can get really good information from us in terms of if a, a young person has had a speech and language therapy report, that will give you some really fantastic you know, hints and tips that that we can share that report with you and you can use it at home to make sure that actually you understand how your child processes and what it is that you need to do in terms of the language that you need to use and how you need to interact. So for some children it might be that actually uh, they can only understand certain uh, phrases, sentences, you know, that your phrases and sentences might not need to be um, overly complex. So just one demand. Some children might not even be able to um, understand the concept of, OK, so put your books away because then we're going to go and sit on the mat and I want you to get your book out because we're going to do some guided reading. So for some children, that, that's just overload. You know, you've got four tasks there in one sentence. And an adult might think that that's completely reasonable, you know, yeah. to ask a young person to do that. But for that child, they might just need actually, first of all, just go and put your book away. And then that's it. And then breaking it down into small chunks. But also they might need processing time. So even if you just give that little instruction of, you know, let's go and put our books away. Actually, a young person might need, you know, seven to ten seconds to have a think about, right, actually, let's get this straight in my head. What is it that's being asked of me? I know that I've got to get my book and I've got to go over there. Right, now I can do that. So, again, not thinking that a young person might be ignoring you or not doing as you're asked. It might be that they're just taking on board the information that it is that you're giving them. So, um, in terms of... um, I mean, if if children do find it difficult to process information, just keeping things nice and simple, allowing them time to process what it is that you're asking of them. I think they're the best things that you can do. Brilliant. So the school holidays is a time when children and young people spend extensive time at home. Let's talk about practical hints and tips um, that parents can implement. So... um, Why is it important to prepare a child for the house rules for when families take a trip or go on holiday? Um, In terms of that, it's very linked to um, 
what Elaine said, the phrase Elaine used uh, in the previous question about setting, setting the tone, etc. Um, so in terms of that, it's visualisation, because no, nobody really likes surprises. Yeah. Uh, if, we go on, if we go on that premise, but children particularly, um, you know, new, new and unknown things can be exciting, of course they can, but they can also uh, carry some anxieties about, oh, what's going to happen when? So again, it, it usually helps to um, speak to children about, okay, so if we're going somewhere that is unfamiliar, what does that actually look like? What are we expecting them to do on that on that day because I do feel sorry for some, for some children who um, are completely you know going into the unknown but then you know quickly get into trouble because they're doing everything wrong in terms of well don't do that don't touch that so if you go into a shop for instance um, let's let's talk about a sweet shop so you walk into a sweet shop as a child depending on your age what is it you know highly likely that you might do you might start touching the sweets you might do that because actually you've just walked into a sweet shop and you like sweets um, and then all of a sudden they're told you know don't don't touch this don't touch that but without that sort of prior warning they don't actually know what the rules of the game are in terms of that and, and you can extend that to everything that you do so it's visualization is really important for children if you're talking about developmental delay and processing time and processing issues that Elaine's just spoke, spoken about there, it's even more important. So you might, you might actually start taking, you know, you might take pictures. You might go on the website and say, right, this is where we're going and this is what it looks like and this is how we, how we should be when we, when we get there. I'm not saying that that is going to be the answer to, uh, to all ills, because it's not. Um, but what it, what it will guarantee is that it will help the situation because um, the anxieties are reduced because actually, although they've not physically been there, they, they know what it looks like. Yeah. So they know when they're going, they know where they're going, they know what to do when they get there and things like that. So it's, it's, it's more chance of success for those sort of things than, than not. So would you say visiting the website um, just so, and so you familiarise the child with where you're going and um, help them prepare for Absolutely. what to expect? Yes, and that's, that's just a very simple yeah, example yeah, of that, absolutely. Or, or you might, um, you know, depending on, on the needs of the child, you might have to do more than that. So you might have to do a pre-visit when it's closed, for instance. Yeah. So if you if you go into some, somewhere that's very busy and you know that um, there are some uh, social anxieties with, with your particular uh, child and young person, then you might say, actually, we'll go, we'll go there just to see the building itself and we'll build up from there. So we'll go there w w when there's not many people around or we'll go there when there's less people around or, you know, you understand what I mean. So yeah. it, there are lots of different ways you can do it, but the important message, I suppose, is to think about that, uh, lay those foundations, and it's more likely to be a successful day. Okay, so should parents consider giving jobs to children and young people to help them focus during the school holidays? Uh, well, if I said yes, all the children uh, in the country would probably uh, be outraged. <laughs> but, um, I mean... It, it's whether it's jobs or it's focus, I suppose, is, is yeah. what, what we're talking about, isn't it? I think, again, it's all linked to the routine that we're trying to create, especially long holidays, so summer holidays particularly, um, can be uh, demanding for children and parents, as, as I've talked about. If there's, if there's a job that, that they have a genuine interest in, whether that's around the house or, or elsewhere, then absolutely, that's a, that's a great way of um, keeping children engaged. What I would say is, um, you know, things that promote uh, responsibility, uh, things that We've talked about about self-esteem and, and confidence. Things that promote those um, are definitely worth uh, looking at. Um, time alone is also important. You know, don't 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 think as a parent that you know you have to you have to sort of be entertaining children all the time yeah. because actually everybody needs downtime. Everybody needs time to uh, to relax. Uh, keeping them entertained, uh, giving them a focus wherever you can is, is definitely a good idea, yes, um, okay. within the parameters of, of uh, what we've talked about. It's a balance, like most things, isn't it? Um, so with my own children, for instance, we might have no, no screen days every now and again because screens are an important part of um, society today. But there's also a lot of research coming 
out that actually if you spend too long on mobile phones, you spend too long on um, games consoles, etc., etc., that's not necessarily good for your temperament um, at the time if you're uh, uh, overexposed to those things. So it's about, again, talking to children and saying, do you know what, today's a no-screen day, or today's a, you know, we'll do these things first and then you can have... But those conversations will um, obviously be embedded in the context of the family. Okay. So um, what's the importance of exercise? Um, well, um, exercise has got lots of natural health benefits for, for everybody, so for children and for adults. So um, regular exercise, it, it generally just helps with the child's movement skills, but in general it just helps you know your bones become stronger, helps build a healthy heart, stronger muscles. So all of the things that, that we hear about in general that are really good benefits um, of exercise. I, th I think one of the key things um, for me is that you know we, we've heard as well about um, exercise it's uh, your body releases chemicals you know called endorphins whenever it is that you exercise and endorphins are, are really important for us and um, so interact with the receptors in your brain and so they help to um, reduce your perception of pain but they also um, trigger that positive feeling in the body so um, as well as having lots of natural health benefits you know exercise is really important because it releases endorphins helps you you know to, to kind of feel you know more positivity so kind of the more exercise that, that children can get you know the better because it keeps them healthy keeps them strong um, and it just also kind of promotes that that positive positivity and positive feelings as well there's associated benefits to that as well in terms of what we talked about um, you know giving children focus and things like that um, preventing boredom is really key because when when people are bored when uh, children are bored particularly that's when um, things can go wrong um, so the extension of what Elaine's talked about there is that exercise can also lead to other things in terms of social inclusion so it might be something that they've, they've started doing something and then all of a sudden they realise that there's a local club or a local facility that does that they go there they meet like-minded people friendships all those sorts of things so there's there's multiple reasons why it's a good idea yeah i was going to say and just general enjoyment because you know when we talk about exercise we're not necessarily talking about you know boot camp yeah. <laughs> three days a week you know when we're talking about exercise you know even just going out and playing a game of tig you know in the park just kind of making things fun it's it's building you know relationships like Richard said if you're thinking about joining clubs but even as, as a family you know um the, at the weekend I was out you know with my godchildren you know playing tig in the park running around you know with a ball and playing hot potato game and whatever it is it, it's just boosting those relationships as well with the people around you which again you know it just just makes you feel good doesn't it and it's yeah. a positive experience so brilliant so what rewards um should be in place for long periods of time spent at home? Um, well, uh, Richard kind of touched on this in, yeah. in another one of the, the questions earlier about the, you know, the importance of rewards and the importance of praise. Um, I mean, it, it's very, very difficult um, you know, for some parents because when, when we're thinking about that concept of rewards, um, it, it can be hard sometimes because actually what, what is rewarding and what is motivating you know, to a young person? And when you start thinking about, oh, well, actually, shorter term rewards, if I, if I say that every week, you know, if, if we have positive days, or if we see less challenging behaviour, I'm going to get you X, Y, and Z. It can be quite difficult for parents in terms of expectations, you know, of, of children wanting things. So, we, I mean, we've talked about, you know, reward charts. We do use reward systems in our schools and in our children's homes, and parents can, you know, use those at home. So you see lots of different programmes, you know, that are around and about Super Nanny, you know, and whatnot yeah. with, with the charts on the fridge and, and the gold stars. 
a lot of children actually really respond to that. You know, my godchildren um, that are five and nine years old, that they've had star charts, you know, that they really enjoyed and really responded to and, and wanting to, to work towards some kind of reward or activity at the end of the week. So, um, parents can, can do that, you know, over the, over the holidays, but actually sometimes, Rather than a planned reward chart, sometimes that that sporadic praise can have an even bigger impact, you know, with children. Yeah. So, you know, if you've, you've had a run of a, a good few days, actually not having a reward chart in place, but saying to kids, do you know what, actually, I've really enjoyed this week. Oh, I've had a really positive week. Do you know what? Let's go and do this. You know, let's go to McDonald's or, you know, let's go to the park or whatever it is. That can be a lot more motivating for children when actually that, that praise is acknowledged. And they're not almost having to work for it. You know, it's yeah. just that an adult has recognised that they've had a really positive week, you know, or they've displayed really positive behaviours and whatever it is. And sometimes it doesn't have to be a monetary, you know, reward. Sometimes for children, just having time with adults, you know, yeah. with parents, parents is, is reward in itself and you know getting out and about and going to the park and spending that little bit of one-to-one -one time with mum dad brothers sisters friends you know as well so that reward time of you know having friends around to the house or you going and interacting with your friends um, ju just something that's fun you know it doesn't have to be attached to monetary value just yeah. doing something with a child as a reward that, that can be fun um, is, is really important as well so the summer holidays is a long time it's a long time for a child it's, it's a long time for a parent so just breaking it up if they can either into to short term you know kind of rewards because actually if you say to a child at the start of the summer holidays you know what if we have a really fantastic summer six weeks down the line we'll go and do this you know some yeah. children don't have that concept of time and it's really hard you know even as an adult you yeah. probably wouldn't be motivated if somebody said you know in six weeks time we'll do this so so short term targets I think are always the best and and not having to attach it to something monetary like I said mm. sometimes children just really enjoy really positive interactions with mum dad well, brother sisters yeah and, and making sure that if you say okay you know if we're gonna if this happens like Elaine said you know you've had a great couple of days or what have you let's go to the park or, or whatever it looks like and making sure that actually happens because there's nothing worse even as adults uh, when things are promised and they're not delivered for, for whatever reason obviously there's going to be some circumstances where it's unavoidable but um, in the main if, if those things uh, happen then, then the behaviour is likely to be repeated okay so, um, to complete this podcast, I've got a question for you both. Um, obviously, I've had questions throughout this process. <laughs> <laughs> throughout your time with Group, um, you will have supported many young people. What are the standout moments for you in terms of pupil development? I think there's too many. <laughs> Um, for to kind of, um, I, I think one of the things that always um, strikes me, um, I, I just have one particular young man in mind actually that that's uh, in one of our schools who um, began um, 
his time with the Slack group with us in, in year seven, you know, the, the start of secondary school. And he's, and he's in year 11 now at one of our schools. Um, and this young man, um, he's, he's had many a chat with both myself and Richard in terms of the, the challenging behaviours that, that he used to display. And yes. he was a very, very challenging young man, you know, would very much struggle to even remain in a lesson, you know, for, for that period, would be in and out. Um, very challenging behaviours towards the, the teaching staff. Um, and actually, he's now head boy, um, you know, oh, yeah, at, at, at the school um, that he's at. He leads the student council. You know, whenever we have visitors to the school, he's the first one that wants to show them around. Um, you know, it, it, he's, he's come on leaps and bounds. And I think for me, it's just fantastic, you know, rather than anything specific, just to see that general progression and when you talk to that young man himself you know he he's really enjoyed you know his time at, at the school that he's at and he he will reflect himself and say oh crikey you know yeah when I when I came I first came to to the with a slack group I, I really struggled and and you know he's, he's very open and honest about his behaviors and I think it's been really nice for him as well to see his own personal journey yeah. um, and to know that that's been acknowledged you know with the <clears> fact that he's he's boy and he's really you know flagship for the school you know fantastic member of that school's community and there's there's lots of examples you know of that and even children that go on um to you know different apprenticeships you know paid work all of those things are, are fantastic for us i think for me uh, over the years i go back and and you know you obviously if you've if you've been doing it uh, as long as uh, some of us have, you've got quite a lot of children to um, to remember. But I think the beauty nowadays is, is uh, social media because it was very difficult sometimes to track um, children and young people that you'd worked with um, many years ago, whereas now it's very easy to see and, and, and a lot will get, get back in touch through that method, obviously. Uh, and, it's, and it's just lovely to see, um, as Elaine was saying, you know, some children that had some real difficulties, some real challenges um, whilst uh, working... Um, um, going to the schools that, uh, that the WhatsApp group have. Um, in terms of, you know, you, you think if, if they would just do this, if they would just do that, and, and a lot of children will come back and say, I didn't appreciate it at the time, but actually, um, and they bring their own children back, and they're very successful professionally as well. And that's at the end of the day, that's all we're looking for, is that the quality of life is, is um, the best it can possi possibly be. So there are lots and lots of uh, children that I remember um, from uh, the past, but also, as Elaine said, that there are children now where, where they've gone through that process, um, and, it's, and it's just great to see. Brilliant. Um, thank you both for joining us. If you're not already, follow with the Slack group on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to find out the latest news from our schools and children's homes. Also visit our website withaslackgroup.co.uk to explore our library of resources and our upcoming events. Thank you.